It is a very big welcome back to everyone. We're on episode six of the ICB News Channel podcast. My name is Rob Marshall. It is my great pleasure to bring this to you on behalf of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. Um, this is a podcast designed specifically to uh, tackle all things current and happening in the world of bookkeepers. And uh, we're excited, I'm excited, to uh, bring in two regulars to the podcast. First of all, our uh, CEO of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, Amanda Linton, and uh, the newly or freshly appointed director of the ICB and uh, the executive director of the ICB, just quietly, uh, a man of much knowledge and wealth of experience, Matthew Addison. So, Amanda, let's let's kick off um, with the annual general meeting results of the the uh, the director appointments. We've just held our annual general meeting, the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. For those tuning in um, who are members, you may have attended that, um, but many may have missed it and have missed the announcement of the appointment of directors for 2022 and beyond. I'll hand over to you, Amanda. Thanks, Rob. And yes, unfortunately, I was one of those ones that, um, due to illness this year, had to miss out on the AGM myself. So uh, that was somewhat challenging, I have to say, and disappointing. But um, but it, I'm really pleased to announce that, uh, as you've already alluded to, our uh, appointment of directors, which is part of our normal annual general meeting process. So Matthew has been re-elected for another three-year term as part of uh, as part of that AGM. And we, I'm also extremely pleased to announce the appointment of Darren McMahon. Um, as a director as well, has been voted on for a three-year term as well. And Darren's a very long-term member of ICB and a great addition to the board. He certainly is. I think he'll be a familiar name to many in our um, bookkeeping um, community around Australia. Now, if you don't know much about Darren, well, I'm sure you can use all the, the social media um, type events these days to, to check him out. But he, I can guarantee you, or we can guarantee you, he's a, a man of amazing substance and uh, will bring a lot to the Institute's um, board, absolutely. So congratulations both to Matthew and Darren. Matthew uh, will give you the chance to, to chime in at this point. Yeah, I just wanted to call out, Rob, that uh, Darren is a bookkeeper in practice. He runs his own bookkeeping firm. And so, again, uh, another indication of just how close ICB at every level, from the board of directors, from its governance structure, from its operations team, um, stays really close to what we're doing which is looking after the bookkeeping profession. Bookkeepers helping bookkeepers helping business. Um, for um, anybody who is tuning in, and we call this out on each episode, you don't uh, have to necessarily be a, a member of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers to, to tune into this podcast. Anybody can tune in. If you're a, uh, a book camp bookkeeper perhaps considering how to get support, assistance, or just to become part of a wider community that does amazing things, www.icb.org.au. Definitely recommend you go and check that out and, and check out the membership opportunities that are available to you. Um, and we will definitely embrace you into the fold, what you might say. Amanda, um, we are obviously uh, using this uh, channel to be able to examine 
the um, ICB newsletter that is produced each month. The uh, the month we are in the month of May. The uh, ICB newsletter covering all the events of April has just recently been released, and included in that is an article titled "The Truth About Bookkeepers," a fascinating article, uh, which puts a lens on the annual survey results of recent times that uh, we did mention on our last um, podcast episode. Would you like to uh, maybe tell us a little bit about the annual survey results and a few interesting statistics that have come out of the back end of that? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Look, we've had um, well over 700 people um, respond to the annual survey this year, and it is open to anyone in Australia who is operating as a bookkeeper or working as a bookkeeper. You don't have to be an ICB member. Interestingly enough, uh, 94% of respondents were ICB members this year. But um, it's a really great chance for us to get an insight into who our community are and some of the issues that they may be facing on a daily basis. But it also too gives us the ability to be able to collate some information, to be able to go out to our partners, go out to our stakeholders and give us some really solid um, statistics and information around how the bookkeeping profession works. So there was some really interesting stuff came out of this year's survey. Um, first of all, just sort of some of the basic information, you know, the um, respondents, 89% female, average age 53 and 84% of the respondents were actually registered BAS agents or tax agents. So that just gives you a little bit of a look at the demograph of, the, of, of who we all are. But the, uh, the annual survey, which can be found on our website, uh, is actually contains a whole lot more information. So for those of you who um, are wondering maybe where do I sit in the scheme of other bookkeepers, how do I benchmark against other people, it's a really great reference tool to understand things like what people are charging across the country, um, as I said, you know, where people are located, um, what their turnover of their business is. And so it's a, it's a real wealth of information um, contained within this report. A couple of things that I just thought I'd call out, Rob, is uh, we had we asked a few new questions this year, which gave us some insight into the size of bookkeeping businesses across Australia. So we asked a question um, for the first time around uh, turnover. What was the level of turnover of bookkeeping um, bookkeeping businesses in Australia? And quite an interesting statistic came back. And that was that 50% of respondents actually earn less than $75,000 a year. Now, at first when you look at that, you might kind of go, well, that's really interesting how many you know, are running what some would perceive to be a bigger practice or a bigger bookkeeping business. But if you think about the type of people that our industry attracts, um, part-time workers, mums returning to the workforce, um, people who are looking for that work-life balance, that's really not that surprising when we look at it from, through that lens. But alternatively, on the other side of the coin, we have 12% of the respondents earn over $200,000 a year. So we, we do have the industry, it just shows the industry has a very broad scope and range of people who are involved. So um, there was some, just to just break that down a little bit further, of those people who were turning over less than 75000 a year, 100% of respondents said they were really happy with the financial return that their business was offering them, which I thought was great. 73% of those people service less, 15 clients or less. And when we look at average charge rates, we're looking at 65 to $80 an hour, depending on whether it's bookkeeping or BAS services. If we go to the other end of the scale, so those turning over more than 200,000, 71.5% have 51 clients or more. 
which is pretty sizable. And the average charge rates in that bracket were between $83 to $112 an hour. Again, bookkeeping through to BAS services. Um, and that's of those people that were happy with the financial return. So there was some really interesting, different information that came out of the survey this year. Um, just a couple of other quick ones to call out that I thought were work, worth calling out um, was the average charge rates. That's a question we get asked, as you know, Rob, we get asked that question all the time. Yes, How much do, do I charge when yep. I come into this space? <laughs> so, um, so the average charge rates for bookkeeping services ranged from 67 to $72 an hour as being the average. And um, if you have a look, go and have a look at the survey. That's broken down a little bit further in the survey document around those who might be in metro versus regional areas. Uh, and when we're talking bus services, we're talking between 88 and $95 an hour. So that's what I mean. There's some really good information to, to try and figure out where a professional bookkeeper fits in the Australian landscape. Um, yeah. Can I jump in at that point and just say that I think um, anybody listening into this right now, I think, you know, the importance of understanding that can't be understated uh, or can't be overstated rather. Um Matthew, from your perspective and certainly your role, not just within the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, but many other hats you have, this sort of information is pretty important and sort of creates a guideline for uh, new bookkeepers coming into the space and also existing bookkeepers that are in, in our space and uh, how they can continue to move forward with their, with their practices perhaps. Yeah, Rob, it's a good call out and Amanda's made some great observations there. Uh, we've already had feedback from various regulators and other government officials in relation to our survey, um, which we also sent out with our annual report, uh, which went out as part of the AGM process. But some great responses on the survey going, this gives us insights into the community. And Amanda's insight about 50% less than 75 grand. It actually says something about who we're working with, what we're talking. Now, we have a very diverse uh, community. So there's still 50% that are above 75 grand and delve into that data a little bit more and you'll see there's uh, a substantial percentage, Amanda, that are earning good good money in multi-person practices. So they we are. do have a very diverse audience, but it's uh, really um, good to have insights into our community, Rob, as you've called out. Amanda, um, just uh, repeat for us, how, how do uh, members in particular tap into that, um, that's those survey results? So if you just jump on our website, Rob, www.icb.org.au and in the search bar, just pop in annual survey 2021 and uh, you'll be able to find the full um, survey and the analysis that goes with that, the commentary that goes with that, um, as well as finding this year's. Um, it's also important to note that we actually have the history of the surveys we've been running. So all the mm. other surveys back mm. quite a number of years are, are there for you to do some comparison work with. Um, you know, and as I say, and, and some of that stuff can't be understated. One of the stats just on that that I happened to pick up as I was going through um, the summary this year was um, in, in, back in 2016, 84% of respondents were performing most of their client work on, on client premises. So mm. that was probably <laughs> about right for 2016 if you think about it. Yep. The same statistic for 2021 said that had dropped by 20% 
Mm. So now 64% of work is actually done on client premises. So mm -hmm. that's where going back and having a look at some of those older surveys, just to sort of see how we've changed over, over the years, um, you know, and the impacts they've actually had. Absolutely. Um, uh, I can attest to those statistics. I would say I'm probably even higher um, or in my case, uh, probably closer to under 50% client on, on site versus off site these days. So interesting, very interesting, Amanda. Just before you move on, Rob, um, one of the things I'd like to call out with the survey is that the information that we produce out of that is actually also about much more than just the demograph of who we are, right? We also ask questions around things like what software do you use? Um, how do you feel that the interaction with regulators, how, how effective is that interaction? And that's the kind of information that, as Matthew said, when we when we distribute that back to regulators and our partners, um, gives people the ability, gives them the ability to understand who they're working with as well. So, just as an example, you know, we've pulled out, we've pulled out that Zero is the most dominant software that's used by our space. 80% of us use it with their clients, um, compared to 72% who use MYB with their clients, the two biggest players in the market. 55% use Zero as their own practice management software or is they part of their own business versus 34% MYOB. So they're the kinds of information that we actually get to um, to delve into, plus also to what are the features, uh, not so much the features, but what um, about dealing with those software companies do we find frustrating versus what do we appreciate the most about them? And that's talking about things like support, um, costing, a whole range of other things. So I really encourage everyone to go and have a look at the survey because it, it really is about the bookkeeping industry as a whole rather than just penciling in, um, you know, the core information of, of who it is. Um, I forgot what my brainwave was. Um, oh, Amanda <laughs> talked to about partners and software companies. I've already had one very invested software representative talking about our survey results and what our community said about the usability of the software versus the price of the software versus the support provided by each of the software companies. So there's some great insights and I can tell you the, uh, the partners really take note of what's in that survey as well, Amanda. That's great to hear. The insights you refer to, Matthew, can be further embellished by reading the April edition of the ICB newsletter. There is an article in there that... Uh, uh, calls out the ICB annual uh, survey. So uh, I'd encourage you to engage with that. And we're going to also suggest strongly moving forward in this podcast that those that are tuning in that attend uh, network meetings, this is a great document to get your head inside and create a discussion at those network meetings around your own experiences. Perhaps you've participated in the survey. You don't have to reveal anything particular, but certainly conversations around this are, uh, as Amanda's just alluded to, just to, just to even reflect on where you're at with on-site versus off-site. Um, for those who are engaged as an, a bookkeeper in employment, there's some different lenses or views that you may want to share around that as well. So some really good stuff. Um, get into it. It's in our ICB newsletter in April. Also, the opportunity to, to download it via www.icb.org.au. So thank you, Amanda, for sharing uh, those survey results and, and the opportunity for, for everybody to engage with those survey results. We're going to move uh, a little bit more deeply into other topics that have been covered in the April edition of the ICB newsletter. 
um, going to work in some sort of chronological um, process here. One of the articles that follows on from the annual survey results talks about uh, Matthew ATO communications to employers re specifically regarding single touch payroll phase two. Single touch payroll phase two is very much on the lips of employers around Australia, although you could argue that it, these communications are probably going to reignite a lot of conversations with bookkeepers in particular. Yeah, thanks, Rob. From the ATO's point of view, not enough employers are involved in STP2 yet. They're not aware or they're not reacting to it. So the purpose of this article, purpose of this discussion is for bookkeepers to know, our members to know, their clients are about to be written to, their employers are about to be written to. Um, ATO's got 500,000 employers on in their sites for a letter to go out about now. Um so when that letter goes out, they're going to be told, hey, you need to be in touch with your software, you need to be thinking about STP2, you need to be in touch with your advisors to actually engage. So just a heads up, there's communication going to your businesses. Uh, I'm going to suggest, Rob, that bookkeepers, professional bookkeepers should be talking to their employers now before they get the letter from the ATO. Absolutely. I think we're all, for those of us definitely who are in practice, we're aware that uh, there is so much other noises going on in an employer's ear on any given day that uh, some of this has potentially become a little bit of what you might call white noise. Um, now is the time to, to get the, the communication when it comes through and put it firmly in front of the employer and create that conversation at a much higher level. Um, you are nodding away. The, the listeners can't see that. You're nodding away, Matthew. You agree with that? Yeah, no, absolutely, Rob. We'll move on. Um, we... I also have in our April newsletter um, the next article that you'll run across looks at penalties for overdue taxable payments annual reporting or we uh, colloquially refer to it as TPAR. Um, the annual lodgement date for TPAR every year is the 28th of August. There's been no change in that or a proposed change in that. However, like a lot of compliance pieces with clients um, or working within a business, as a, uh, as a bookkeeper, we know that sometimes things are overlooked or lodgements are missed for whatever reasons. The ATO has come out and um, kind of addressed that. Um, there's been a degree of, I guess you might say, um, tolerance with TPAR lodgements for a while now. However, the ATO have made it very clear and it's brought out in this article that um, some penalties are coming um, businesses' ways if they don't comply. And an announcement um, recently has called out that from the 23rd of March this year, 2022, the ATO will apply lodgement penalties for anybody who did not lodge the 2021 TPAR or prior or have been sent three non-lodgement letters and haven't responded or haven't responded to a follow-up phone call. Um, Matthew, myself, I've been uh, I've been privy to a couple of clients that have fallen foul to this of recent times, and um, thankfully we were able to nip it in the bud just prior to that uh, third non-lodgement letter. But uh, it is a, it is a fact that sometimes as bookkeepers we don't engage with clients on a on such a level that we're right across all the communication pieces coming through from the ATO. Um, but that engagement in regards to TPAR is obviously high on the ATO's radar. Your views? Yeah, Rob, it's indicative of various 
compliance activities that are ramping up post-COVID, post-floods, post-everything. The ATO have been given a bit of a mandate to just ramp up on some of their compliance. We will have seen the the tax shortfall reports come out. TPAR is one of those techniques trying to uh, reduce the tax gap or the, the shortfall in tax collection. So, but, but your call out and your list there, Rob, you don't get penalised until you really have ignored the ATO for a long time. Correct. So the ATO, you've got an obligation, you know it's there, they write to you, they write to you, they write to you, they ring you up. If you're totally ignoring them, what do you expect them to do? Yeah. It's a law, they're the regulator, they've got a mandate to enforce compliance. It's pretty easy to go, I've ignored them because I don't have to lodge one. Well, lodge the no lodgement required form. Great. So, Rob, Great. it's... A, it's it's a call out, but it's indicative of ATO have now got a mandate to get the TPARs in. They've got a mandate to collect debt. They've got a mandate to make sure lodgements are happening. I'm glad you referenced the NIL reports. Um, so for uh, members in particular of the ICB, we have a fantastic resource that we developed uh, only recently about how to lodge a NIL report because funnily enough, Matthew, that has been a challenge over the, the journey just to be able to lodge a nil report. So we've got some ICB resources around that. Uh, Another uh, one that confuses a lot of um, um, employers in particular about reporting for TPAR is the scenario around reporting, obviously, the labour, which is the major component. But if you have an invoice that includes both labour and materials, you're not to split out the materials, as some have done in the past. Include them, lodge it, and move on is basically the advice, and that's called out in our newsletter. So get your head inside that um, that particular um, newsletter item. I'll also mention, Matthew, that the software companies, the companies that Manda mentioned before, the Zeros, the MYBs, et cetera, are making it easier with um, reports that you can simply upload um, to your online services for business, online services for agents, or... In my case, I use a, uh, a particular good friend of the ICB, Gov Reports. All of those facilities have that ability to make the TPAR experience fairly, fairly seamless, really. So ha- get your head inside the, uh, the TPAR article in the newsletter, and uh, I'm sure that that may also create some conversations with some clients to just make sure that they're on top of their compliance there. Let's move on to a couple of other articles that we'll find in this newsletter. And in particular, we have referenced this one slightly before. You might want to just give a slight overview on this one, Matthew. And that's in regards to the recent um, uh, changes to do with super and under-18s and what the 30-hour count relates to. Um, The article calls that out. I don't know if we need to dig into that too deeply, but is there anything you wanted to, to, to reference in regards to that? Uh, Rob, we've got it in the newsletter. There's some communication about to come out from the ATO. Again, they're going to write to employers about the super changes that are due on 30 June, that 10% becomes 10.5%, that the $450 threshold goes away. What came out in discussions about the 450 is what about the under-18s? Because we have that 30-hour rule. Mm -hmm. If you work more than 30 hours a week and you're under 18, then super applies. What happened to that? Nothing happened to that. 
as part of these changes. So they removed the 450, you've still got to, uh, under 18, work more than 30 hours. It's free, it is lay down Mazaire, you can work it out. Uh, the other thing to note, the big one here, is it's about the date of payment. It's about payday. Mm. So in terms of that 30 June cutoff, Rob, we've just got to get the calcs right. If you're paid on 30 June, it's the old system. If you're paid on 1 July, doesn't matter when you earned the money, but if it's paid on 1 July, it's the new law. If you're going, yeah, I'm hearing what he's saying, but I'm not quite understanding fully, get your head inside the article in the newsletter. It, it, it does delve into that and uh, gives plenty of reference to how that works. The next, uh, the next article item that we're going to have a conversation about, and this is definitely one, again, I'm going to reference uh, for one of the huge benefits of being a member of the ICB is the opportunity to engage with network meetings. Um, and I'm going to suggest this is one that you could definitely throw around at a network meeting, those who attend those. Um, and that is the resource that we've created recently called the sale or purchase of a business. And what that resource looks at, at length is the ramifications to employees in that situation. Many of us have been in practice for a long time, have worked with businesses either selling or being purchased, and quite often the residual in, that, in those circumstances can be the existing employees. This is a topic that those who attended our ICB summit this year um, would have heard our, um, our HR experts, Employment Innovation, speak about. Um, but there's a great article in the newsletter. I'd encourage you to go and have a look. It looks at the many factors to consider when there is a sale or purchase of a business regarding employees at that time. And it certainly looks at a couple of lenses, in particular the purchaser's lens and what they should be aware of and the due diligence they should consider, but also examines things like the fair work approach and their reaction to a scenario such as this. It looks at uh, employment records and uh, how you should be approaching those. Things like, do you still maintain the seven-year uh, retainment period? What What is the story with that? So I'm not going to I'm not going to give too many uh, giveaways on that one. The article is there. Go and have a read. Plenty of links in regards to um, where you can go to to get information if you, as a bookkeeper, or are part of a business that is either being sold or purchased how you need to approach um, existing employees in that situation. One that certainly I've run across quite a few times and can be rather angstful if it's not dealt with in the right way. Um, I can see Matthew again nodding heads. Uh, anything you want to add to that? Rob, uh, it's always interesting and has been uh, back when I was in the accounting practice. When a person sold a business... They wanted to walk away as quickly as possible and there was all this clean-up work for employees that needed to be done um, and a lot of that gets missed. So the resource calls all of that out and puts the process in place. So if you're at a network meeting and you want to uh, sort of raise a sim similar scenario to what Matthew just did or uh, similar scenarios, great Great to share your experiences. Great to uh, throw it around and see where others have landed in similar situations. We would absolutely encourage you to do that. All right, we're, uh, we're getting our way through the newsletter beautifully here. We've got an article um, in the newsletter talking about, and this one crops up regularly, especially for uh, prob probably BAS agents and uh, certainly um, biz uh, other bookkeepers also operating out there in a professional sense. 
Um, Matthew, the reasons to vary, vary PAYG instalments. I would love a dollar for every time I've had a conversation with a client about this one. Um, they look at their instalment notice and freak out when they see what the ATO have deemed to be their required payment for that uh, quarter or whatever. Um, and then immediately the conversation is, well, do we have to accept that figure or do we move on with something different or what, what do we do? Um, what, what does the article call out? Rob, uh, just to sidetrack for a moment, this whole paying POYG instalments, which is tax in advance of your tax return, so it's a quarterly instalment in advance, um, it got heightened by the budget discussions. Uh, the budget just before the election was announced, it wasn't a measure that got through Parliament, so it's in abeyance until we uh, have the election result. But uh, as a business transacts during the year, is their profit up, down or sideways? How much tax should they be paying by instalments? Um, so what the article is just highlighting again is it is okay to vary your instalment on each quarterly BAS, but there needs to be a valid reason. You might have adjusted income, but you can also adjust the actual T2 rate, which will adjust how much tax is paid in advance. What did happen is the current government committed to reducing the uplift factor for POIGI. So normally there's a 10% increase in the rate um, for, from year to year. That'll only go up by 2% into next year. But uh, the article touches on just revisiting. A professional bookkeeper should be talking to the tax agent seeking advice and if the tax agent says it's to be adjusted, then the professional bookkeeper or BAS agent um, as a contractor can adjust that rate subject to discussion. What we can't do, Rob, is actually advise the business owner what that rate should be. That's up to an income tax interpretation that's out of scope. And I'm glad you used the word scope because we're going to, uh, in a moment, as we start to wind down uh, on this episode of the ICB News Channel, we're going to talk a little bit about our end financial year uh, seminars that we've got coming up for the ICB. And one of the topics that we are going to be discussing at that um, uh, seminar for those who um, are looking to attend, and we're going to encourage all our members in particular, and we're opening up to non-members again this year, um, the opportunity to hear a full discussion around what is scope for bookkeepers. And uh, I think that's going to be one you won't want to miss. But we'll get to that in a moment, a little bit more around the end of year. Uh, finally, Matthew, um, this one didn't make our newsletter. It has actually appeared as a news item, but we want to just heighten through this episode of the podcast a little bit of awareness around the apprenticeship data management system. There's a lot of chatter going on as we speak around that. Um, can you share with us? So, Rob, the, the trigger point here is the additional funding for apprentices. And so a number of employers in various industries where it applies, the apprenticeship scheme additional funding, we've got a 30 June cutoff. But what, uh, what the system did was turn on their new apprenticeship data management system, which requires a MyGov ID, uh, the MyGov ID to log in to the system, use Relationship Authorization Manager to appoint the right people. So if we as professional bookkeepers, as either employees or contractors, want to do this on behalf of our uh, businesses, 
we have to be appointed. So there's a number of steps to walk through, which nobody was aware of until it launched. So uh, the resource available uh, to ICB members through the site, have a click on the news item, will take you through those systems and really streamline what you need to do by 30 June. Perfect. Um, we will be rolling out more information about that over the coming weeks through news items and also our uh, next edition of the ICB newsletter. Uh, but in the meantime, as Matthew said, there is a looming deadline regarding that. So uh, again, we will be trying to be across that as, as efficiently as we can for all of those tuning in, in particular our members of the ICB. Um, I did reference a moment ago our end-of-year seminar events. Um, I'm going to cue Amanda back in at this point. Um, Amanda, the newsletter also referenced um, the opportunity to be able to register for those events and uh, a little bit of an explanation around timings. Do you want to sort of uh, use this opportunity to explain a little bit more about that? Thanks, Rob. The End of Financial Year seminar series that we run every year is all about making sure members are um, informed and equipped and have the resources to make it through their end of year process. And, and as we know, end of year is much more than just payroll, Rob. And that's you've already highlighted some of the information that we're going to be covering this year, particularly that really great discussion around scope. So as you mentioned, the seminar this year is being delivered online. It is um, available to any bookkeeper in the country who would like to and there are discounts that apply to the pricing for ICB members um, who would like to take this up. So it's up to a 50% discount for ICB members to attend. Well, the format is the same as the summit in the respect that we're running a half-day event and a full-day event. Now the thing to remember with this is when you anyone registers to attend the event, they'll get access to both the half-day and the full-day and the beauty of that means that People who are attending the event can actually digest the information however they want to. Um, and then beyond that, all of the content will be available on demand for 90 days. So there's so many ways that people can actually come and participate in this event. One of the things that we um, we recognise works really well off the summit, which is why we've continued this format, is uh, we have people over in your neck of the woods, Rob. We have people in Western Australia and we're acutely aware that a 9 or a 10 o'clock kickoff in the morning can be a bit of a stretch for our WA members. So just as a classic example, one of the WA members might want to come on, they might want to do sessions one through four on the afternoon of uh, Wednesday the 8th and then come and do, you know, sign on with us from, I think it's about 1.20, our afternoon sessions kick off on the Thursday. So they, you know, there's the ability to consume the information any way they want. But just to unpack that a little bit further, basically, as I said, on Wednesday the 8th of June, um, sessions one through four, plus then we'll have some software content just about the how-to around how to finalise this end of financial year. And then to, we're going to finish that off with a live Q&A with all of the presenters, which will be great. And then day two, which will start again at session one at 10 a.m. Now, this is all Melbourne or Eastern Standard Time. Um, day two will kick off at 10 a.m. and then we'll represent what we presented on the first day. And then from 1.20, we'll do the remainder of the sessions. And again, we'll have another live Q&A. So it's a really great way. It just means if someone happens to miss something at the start of the day, they can pick it up on day two or watch it on demand. So the intention is to make it just as easy as we possibly can for everyone to engage in this event. 
Yeah, and look, there might be some scenarios, like you said, it definitely uh, will help us West Aussies and uh, I think on behalf of all West Aussies, we thank uh, the ICB for giving us some consideration there. That was that, that is very thoughtful. But even if you're in Adelaide or Melbourne or out the back of New South Wales somewhere, you might just choose. It's, it's very convenient to do part one, the first session on the Wednesday, and then perhaps the next morning you've got some basses to do or whatever, but and you can still tune in in the afternoon and still get the completed package. So there is that option to, that flexibility, I suppose, is what we're giving, plus the on-demand stuff. Um, it, I think it's a great result. Yeah, and I think, Rob, the, the call-out is, is the fact that, as I say, the key thing is you can consume this event however works for you. It doesn't matter where yeah. you are. And that's really the key of how and why we've put this event together with, that we did. Um, just a quick call out that the early bird pricing for attending this event, and I really encourage everyone, this is a, a once a year, um, you know, we do this in the financial year stuff once a year, funny enough. So, you know, quite often we need that reminder of those things that we mightn't do all the time. So it's a great event to attend from that perspective. But the early bird pricing does finish on the 16th of May. So really encourage everyone to jump on and become part of this event before then. Take advantage of the additional pricing discount. And we want to reiterate, it, this is uh, there is some special pricing for members. That's the benefit of being a member. But if you're a non-member, there's also opportunity. And I, I can guarantee you, because I'm working uh, with the team, the content this year again will be fantastic. End of year is end of year. So a lot of it is repetitive. It's things that we as bookkeepers... Uh, did 12 months ago, but we're sometimes scratching our head, how do we do that again or what do we need to do? This gets us back in the zone. This gets us back dealing with clients professionally and giving them the result that they desperately need from us because end of year can be stressful. It can be very, very stressful, not just for bookkeepers, but also for business owners as well. So great opportunity to engage. Um, Amanda, any final things about the end of year you want to, uh, to bring? Look, I think that's pretty well it in a nutshell. All the information can be found on our website. So again, www.icb.org.au. There'll be a banner will come up at the very top of the page with a great big um, graphic. So you just click on the graphic and it'll take you through to all the information and the booking page. Nice and easy. Get on it, folks. Um, get around it because you will um, really, really benefit from this event. It's a, it's a big event for ICB and uh, the content will be extremely valuable to you. We are of, of that. We are certain of that. So, Amanda, that uh, sort of brings um, your side of things today in the podcast to, to a bit of an end. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give the give the opportunity for Matthew to add the last word on this one. I know that seems to be a little bit of a bit of a thing at the moment. Who gets the last word? But Amanda, thank you for joining us on today's ICB News Podcast and um, uh, News Channel Podcast. And uh, I'm sure that we will have you back again soon. Thanks, Rob. Been great to talk to you again and thank you to everyone listening. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the ICB newsletter, episode six. Matthew, in particular, thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. You're a busy man. Uh, plenty, to, plenty to still look forward to in this back end of this financial year for bookkeepers. Thanks, Rob. Um, look, not sure about how exactly busy I am. When I compare us to our community, I think our guys sweat sweat the detail and sweat on behalf of the businesses they work with. I just happen to be uh, privileged enough to be in this role and to be able to speak on behalf of you all and with you all. So thanks, Rob, for uh, my involvement in this. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew.